following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. I want to talk to you about revival, and I want to ask you, have you ever seen revival? When you think of revival, what is revival to you? Maybe the first thing you do is go back to one of those pictures on TV of a big tent revival and all these people coming out in the country to a revival. When you think of revival, what do you think of? Have you ever seen a revival? Have you ever been part of a revival? Has God ever done a revival in in your life and in your heart? Because I believe God is calling us to revival. I believe God wants to revive us, to revive this city, to redeem this land. And when you look historically at revivals, we're going to be looking in Acts 5 as we continue. You might want to open your Bible there. Acts 5, we're continuing through this book and we're seeing a snapshot of revival. But there are some key themes in revival that you see throughout history that are parts of all revivals have these components. And I want to share with you this morning what some of these things are. Um, I came to faith in a season of revival. Uh, I was in my young 20s, and I came to L.A. pursuing a record deal, playing rock and roll with big Marshall stacks and long hair, uh, trying to get a record deal, and I just felt so alone and far from God, and I knew one thing. I wasn't a very religious person, but I knew one thing. I better get close to him because there's no way I'm going to succeed in life flying solo on my own. So I began a quest. It started with a hunger. Starts with a hunger. All revival, I believe, starts with a hunger. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be filled. It starts with a hunger, a legitimate, tangible hunger. And in our society, most people don't want to be hungry. They want to be satisfied and filled. But I'll tell you, revival doesn't start with satisfaction. It starts with a hunger. And I was hungry, and I started to go to churches trying to find uh, where I might discover what God might have for me, whatever God wanted to show me. And I, and I went to different churches, and it, it felt I did not feel the presence of God in any way, shape, or form. And I didn't even know it was called the presence of God. All I can tell you is I didn't sense life. People have an understanding spiritually of what life is and what life isn't. And you can tell when there's spiritual life and when there's not. And I started bouncing around, looking, trying to find life, God's life among people, some evidence of God's presence in some kind of way. I was hungry. Then I found this church on the west side. And I walked into a room full of a bunch of young 20-year-olds like me. And God was like turning light switches on. Boom, 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 boom. And, And guys in bands and girls that were dancing for a living were beginning to fall in love with Jesus. It was happening, and it was real. People that came from all around this country, pursuing the industry, whatever they were pursuing, Jesus was waking them up, because Jesus is obviously alive, because he's waking up rooms full of people. And I remember they started reading the Bible. I never read a Bible in my life, and they're reading the Bible, and it's coming alive. And the people in the room are realizing God is alive, and he wants to interact with us relationally, and as people are coming alive, People are beginning to meet God, and every week there were 15, 20, 25 people coming forward saying, yes, God is alive, I want to follow him. And and I'm watching revival with my very own eyes. And I became one of those people that said, yes, he is real, I want into his kingdom. Revival was happening. 
Maybe you've seen revival in your own life in some kind of way. Maybe you look back at your own family, in your own testimony, in your own household, where there was revival at some point in time where you could say, yeah, back in 1997, it was on. God was doing great things. Maybe there's a time in your life where you can legitimately point to where God was reviving some things. In the book of Acts, they're in a season of full-blown revival. God is doing radical things. And I think if we stitch it together uh, through what's going on in Acts, we're going to see some parallels, not only with the revivals that have happened historically, but I believe what God wants to do in our life, in our land, in our city. It begins when we're hungry, when we're passionate about the name of Jesus and the fame of Jesus, when we refuse to shrink back, but we're willing to step out in levels of faith that are a little bit scary, step into the unknown, when we're threatened to keep to be told to be quiet, and yet we pray for a new level of boldness to step out in a more powerful witness, even though society would rather say, shh, keep it down with the name of Jesus. By the way, society does say, keep it down with the name of Jesus. Didn't used to for 200 years in this nation. There was never a keep it down in the name of Jesus. Western civilization hasn't really known a keep it down in the name of Jesus. But recently that's happening, and the early church ran into the same issues. I believe when you see this tension, you're looking at the beginnings of revival. Um, Here's some revival quotes that I think are really great. We should take to heart. Revival is an extraordinary movement of the Holy Spirit producing extraordinary results. It's the imparting of life to those who are dead and the imparting of health to those who are dying. Revival is a community saturated with God. Revival is a new discovery of Jesus. A revival is nothing else than a new beginning of obedience to God. And Leonard Ravenhill said, as long as we are content to live without revival, we will. If we're content to live without revival, we will. I haven't seen God force revival on a generation when you look at revivals. It wasn't forced on people. It wasn't thrown on people. It was people saying, God, I know you have more for us in this city. You have more, God. I read it. I I read the book. It's in the text. You've got more. You don't forsake a generation. God, can we have more? And God starts stirring hearts of people, plurally, not just one person. Starts stirring hearts and people start saying, God, we want more. Before our services, we have great prayer meetings in the back room. And that's exactly what we're doing, saying, God. We know you want more, and we want to be involved. We want to be involved in your work. Whatever you want to do, any way you want to do it, we want to be involved in it. And this is a cry of revival. Well, in Acts, there's this theme going on. And the current theme that we're just seeing pop up, as people are sharing Jesus and God is doing great things, there is some leadership that says, stop talking about that name. That name, Jesus, no. No more talking in that name. They had just dragged Peter and John before them and they threatened them very clearly. And say, they said, don't you dare share this name anymore. Lives are changing because of the name of Jesus. People are beginning to wake up to the presence of God, the calling of God in their life. Revival is busting out. The religious leaders don't like this at all. Stop sharing the name of Jesus is what they say. And in the meantime, the believers are saying, God, we're praying for more power because we don't want to listen to them. We, in fact, want to be bolder. 
We want to even be more bold when they're saying be quiet. We want to get louder, not in an obnoxious way, in a spiritually powerful way. We want to share your love and your grace on a whole nother level, even though they want us to be quiet. This was going on. God was pleased with this, and God was showing up in some really amazing ways. I believe if you and I are willing to do the same thing, to say, God, they don't want your name proclaimed in the land. They want it tampered down. They want to lull everyone to sleep and just anything, but don't say that name. But we believe that if the Son of Man be lifted up, you'll draw all men unto yourself. That's what you say, God. We want you to be famous. We care about your name and your fame in this land. We want Jesus to be famous. If we're willing to partner with God on that, I believe God will do the same things he did in the book of Acts in our lives as well. And when we look at the other uh, revivals historically, they all have certain key elements that stitch them together. And I'm hoping this morning that if you're a note taker, you might want to jot some of these down. Uh, We're talking today about stepping into revival. Some people pray for revival. Some people hope revival comes. But I think the best description that I've heard is revival isn't something you just wait for. Yes, you do pray for it, and yes, we do wait for it. But in the meantime, you step right into it. You step into it, and I step into it, because you and I can step into revival today. Revival can begin today. Not next year, next month, next millennium. It can begin today if you and I are willing to partner with God and step into revival. Acts 5, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to pick up where we left off. And a pretty amazing scene right here. The apostles are doing radical things. The religious leaders are saying, be quiet and stop sharing the name of Jesus. Don't do it any longer. There's a tension going on. They were already warned, don't ever do this again. And yet they're right out doing the same thing because they can't be stopped. Acts 5.12, we'll look at this in sections. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the people used to meet, all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. To understand the magnitude of this, you always got to read what came before it and read what comes after it so you understand context. Context is key. The family of believers at this point, the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, all these names for the church, the believers, if you look at the snapshot that comes right before this, It's important to know how they were living. They weren't just everyone off doing their random thing and God goes, hey, I'm going to show up and do a bunch of miracles. How would that be for you? That's not what's going on. The church has got this intensity with God and God is honoring this intensity. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful snapshot. And what we just read, if you read the passage before this to understand it, the people of God, God's people were all in with God and specifically they were all in in prayer Prayer wasn't optional. They were a praying people. They were committed to prayer, the scripture says. It was a commitment in their life. They were committed to the apostles' teaching, to the word. 
Prayer and the word were central to their life. It wasn't a random thing once in a while. I mean, they were all in with God. Prayer and the word was central to their life. I think that's important to note because this is a condition of revival. Uh, The next thing they were committed to, it says they were committed to the fellowship. Today we live in times where people think hanging out with other believers and fanning each other into flame, encouraging. Many believe it's optional. I'd say it's not optional. It's It's a scriptural mandate. It's a It's a prerequisite for revival. It comes before revival. God does things out of this stuff. So prayer, the word, and fellowship. But it also said something amazing. It's come up a couple of times in Scripture. It came up last week, and it came up earlier. Their love for one another was evident in such a tangible way that there was sacrificial giving that was happening among the believers. Sacrificial giving, and I don't mean tithe. Tithing to me... My read of scripture is tithing is not sacrificial giving. Tithing is biblical obedience. It all belongs to the Lord. And we simply give him our first fruit. And what I found is the other 90%, he can bless and multiply beyond what you need and what you want anyway. So that's the scriptural layout of, of tithing. To me, that's not sacrificial giving. That's biblical obedience. But there were some that were making these strides of sacrificial giving that are pretty amazing. We saw Barnabas. Not everybody was doing this. Barnabas went and sold a piece of property and just said, here, this is for the kingdom of God. And you're like, hello? Like somebody selling their house for the glory of God for missions? That's huge. This is a whole nother level of, and God is like, I am so pleased with this community that they're focused on the word, prayer, fellowship, and this sacrificial. Watch this. And God shows up and starts blowing it up, doing radical, radical things. Some of you may um, be familiar with the name uh, Marvin Gaye. Marvin Gaye, you know Marvin Gaye, right? One of the greatest singers of all all time. Well, I just want to share briefly, if I could, um, a little testimony uh, in this area. Marvin Gaye's son has a kidney that is failing and doesn't have long to to live. Rick and Stephanie, I don't want to put you on the spot, but could you stand up for one second, please? Uh, Rick and Stephanie are from Cincinnati. They heard about this, that he's going to die without a kidney. And Rick sensed that the Lord told him when he was younger, just obey me, be obedient, be obedient. And he heard about this need of Marvin Gaye's son, who is not going to live without a kidney. Rick said, the Lord wants me to do it. The Lord wants me to give him one of mine. And most people are going, what? Are you kidding? He's like, nope, the Lord put that in me and I just need to follow through. And Rick and his wife talk about it, pray about it. It's on. They make the communication. They fly out. Rick is just recovering from surgery right now today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Rick and Stephanie. With stitches and staples for giving up a kidney so someone can have life. No greater love does anyone have than to lay down their life for another. And thank you, Rick and Stephanie, so much for modeling God's grace and kingdom. But when we talk about sacrificial giving, this isn't a tithe thing or an offering. This is God stirring hearts of people going, there's something way bigger and it might sound crazy, but God put it in me and it's coming out of me. This is revival. Do you know what that's got to be doing to Marvin Gaye's family right now and those around them? It's turning people's world upside down. The doctor even said, why are you doing this? The doctor, why are you doing this? He's like, we don't see that here in Los Angeles. 
But I think the revival that's coming, we're going to see more of this stuff. It begins sacrificially. Check your heart and where you're at in that picture. I have to as well. God is calling us personally, Christy and I, to different sacrificial things that we've never been part of our life before. We've always tithed and did offerings. But there's a sacrificial component beyond obedience that sparks revival and gives life to others. And I'm just encouraging you guys. This was a component of revival. Pray about that. It's between you and God. But all I'll tell you this with revival, God's people are all in. And guess what? God's all in. God's people are all in. And God's all in. Exactly like that. God's people are all, God's people are on off, flying off, doing their own thing. And God says, hey, let me just show, show up and blow you guys away. I know you're not looking for me and you're not asking for me, but let me just go ahead and rock your world anyway. That's not what we see. God's people are all in. And God's like, thank you. I'm all in also. Why? Because scripture promises this. God says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. If you come close to me, I will come close to me. If you seek me with all your heart, oh, you will find me. I will be found by you and I will bless you and I will meet you. God says this Old and New Testament. It's James 4, 8 and it's our first note. If you're writing down on what does it mean to step into revival? What does it take for you and I to step into revival? The first step is this. It's draw near to God and God will draw near to you. This is how you personally, personally step into revival. Not only is the church that we want to draw near, but personally, if we draw near, if we press in, if we are willing to come close to God, God will come close to you. That's my understanding of not only scripture, that's how it happened in my life. That's how it continues in my life. If, I, if I'm willing to get closer to God, I notice God is willing to get closer to me. It's God's revelation. It's the way he lays it out. Um, so that's what happens. Living Bible says, draw close to God and God will draw close to you. And when this starts happening, when people start drawing close to God, no matter what level you're at, it doesn't really matter. As long as you're taking a step closer to God, what you begin to realize in this, in this process of revival, one of the first things is he reveals our hearts. It doesn't take long being in and around God where our hearts get revealed. And there's stuff in our hearts that needs to get revealed, to be honest with you, because none of us has it down. We got some stuff going on in these hearts of ours. The first thing we realize is God discloses in his power and his love and his light the real condition of this heart. It doesn't take long before we realize, I realize, God, the first thing you want to do is the condition of this heart. You, you, you want to do some work here. God's like, yes, thank you. May I? Because he doesn't force himself. May I? And if you're like, yeah, go ahead, God, search me. As David says, search me, O God, and know my ways. Find out what's in here, whatever we got to do, God. And, and that is beautiful. When we're willing to put our hearts before God that way, God's like, oh, thank you. I can do so much. You have no idea. If you will let me, I'll take away a heart of stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll put a new spirit in you. Oh, God's like, I can do wondrous things, but I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to grab your heart from you and do that. But I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And if you will let me in, if we let him in, God's going to do wondrous things. And the whole journey is when we, God shows up, our hearts change. When hearts change, lives change. And when lives change, whole cities change. And this is the history of revival, beginning with our own hearts. And then it's evident in our lives. And it starts to be evident in the lives of those around us. And pretty soon you have a full-blown movement of the Holy Spirit that is revival in action rolling out. The presence of God becomes very evident to everybody. 
And in this passage, God is moving powerfully. There's signs and wonders being done at the apostles. They believe what Jesus said. He said, as you've seen me do, you do also. He said this to the believers. You do what I did. So what would Jesus do? It's a great question. You ask him, God, what what would you want me to do? And if you and I do what Jesus did, this is the beginning of revival. They're doing this. They're stepping out in faith. They're invoking the name of Jesus because he said, if you do it in my name, you're doing it with my authority. And they're doing this and the sick and the tormented are getting healed. There's radical change going on. God is blessing a society that's seeking him, blessing them with his presence in a very tangible way, in a very clear evidence that everyone around is getting to see it. Verse 15 is great. You might want to underline it in your Bible. It says, as a result, as a result, as a result, why do I say this? Because as a result, God always has results. When people are seeking him, when people are loving him, when people are saying, God, show up, there will be results. Oh yes, there will be results. And you will always love the results of God showing up. You will always love the evidences of God. You will always love anything that has to do with his presence. I've never met a person in my life that has an issue, problem with God's presence because there's love in his presence, there's peace, there's freedom, there's healings, everything in the presence of God. And as a result, the whole city around them starting to change. Not just the believers, but the people who were observers, the people who were open to God. They are changing in this passage. And it says, as a result of what God was doing among his people, that they put people, sick people, lining the streets on beds and mats, waiting for Peter's shadow to fall on them. Come on. What does that look like? Could you imagine we get out of church, we go out here on Reseda Boulevard, people are putting their sick people out so we would walk by. Could you even imagine that? Why are they doing that? They're doing that because they know there's something different about Peter and they know there's something different about Peter's shadow. You see, all of us cast a shadow, one kind or another. I don't know what kind of shadow we're casting. Some people use interesting terms about what's around us and the the shadow we cast or, or the vibe we give off. People use this in the workplace, right? They talk about the vibe. Anybody, right? The vibe the aura, the, the, you know, the, the spirit, the attitude. There's all kinds of terms being used, but the reality is we all give off something like that. Hopefully what we're carrying is the presence of the living God. Hopefully that's the presence that we carry with us where we go, because Peter did, and Peter knew that, the people knew that guy is carrying God's presence. So maybe, maybe, if we put our sick in the street, maybe, his shadow will come our way. Now, the passage doesn't say that the shadow actually healed them, but all the people who came forward for prayer were getting healed. God's healing all kinds of people, all kinds of people in this passage. Doesn't say the shadow healed, but just the fact that the society around them started to view God and God's presence in his people differently is absolutely beautiful. The society is looking at the believers in a whole different way. Uh, Peter's not saying, hey, check me out. I got a cool shadow thing going on over here. In fact, Peter was saying in the passage earlier when he healed the, the, the uh, crippled man at the, at the gate called Beautiful, if you remember the passage, everyone was blown away. He's like, why are you looking at us? Don't look at us. It doesn't have anything to do with us. This is all the power of God. Jesus is alive. He's doing stuff. Don't look at us as if we got anything to, to do here. So Peter's not walking down the road like, oh, I got this cool shadow thing going on. 
He's just walking in the presence of God and people are like, there's something about those people. They're in revival. God is, they're drawing near God and God is drawing near them and God's meeting them and God's doing things through them. They love God, they're obedient to God, but God's power is being poured out in their life and all I know is things are changing around them as a result. As a result, stuff is changing. As a result, stuff is happening and they're lining their street with people. It's really amazing to me. You and I cast a shadow as well. The question is, what kind of shadow do we cast? Our life has an overflow effect. In fact, Jesus says that we are the light of the world. Earlier it said Jesus was the light of the world in the Gospels, and then Jesus says, guess what? You're the light of the world. And we're like, us? Not us, you. He's like, right. But now I'm in you. And because I am, you cast a different shadow. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You give preservative. You give flavor to a society that doesn't have any because that's what I want to do in your life. I want to give preservative. I want to give flavor to a flavorless society. I want to cast light. The Bible says that we are the aroma of Christ. Literally, people smell something. And I'm not talking about... Not that smell. When we walk into a room, people go, what is it? It's the same... They use the term vibe... Energy, they don't know what it's called. How, can you, you can't blame them for not knowing. The, it's called the presence of God. It's the presence of God. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. If you're a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ, if he's your Lord, he puts his spirit in you, and you carry the presence of God with you. And that's the shadow we cast. I just want to encourage you this morning. If you want to be people of revival, second point this morning. If you want to be people of revival, cast a shadow of God's presence everywhere you go. Cast a shadow of God's presence. And I don't mean physically the silhouette of the sun shadow. Blah. I don't mean that way. I mean cast a shadow, the presence of God in you. Let there be overflow. Let your light so shine before men, as Scripture says, so they may see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. This is revival. This is coming out of our shell. This is coming out of the closet and saying, God, have your way in me. I'm willing to go to Trader Joe's, but you know what? It's not going to be a regular shopping trip, God. Have your way in me. Shine in me. Maybe there's somebody you want me to walk up to and say, whatever it is, God, I want to represent. God's like, oh, thank you, thank you. I, I could do such amazing things with your life if you're willing to do that. If we're willing to partner with God, draw near to him, he draws near to us. Cast a shadow of God's presence wherever you go. The passage says something interesting. It says uh, in this text right here that the, the believers were highly regarded. Uh, the, the believers in Jesus Christ were regarded highly by the society around them. That, this is interesting. In revival times, people look at believers like, whoa, something's going on. God's in their life. It's evident that God's in their life. Something's going on with these people. It's not just their theology or their doctrine. God is doing something in their life. They were regarded highly. And I believe that's because Jesus is contagious and men and women were being added to their number. So they're sharing faith People are being added to their number. Believers are highly regarded. But it also says in the same passage that no one dared join them. Now, what could it mean that men and women were being added to their number and yet no one dared join them in the same passage? Well, to understand that properly, we have to look at what came before this and what comes after this. And what we see is that as God was moving through dedicated people, more and more people were added to their number. But what also happened right before this passage 
is Ananias and Sapphira tried to fake it. They tried to fake it, straight out fake it. They figured, hey, if people are highly regarded, maybe we can be highly regarded too. Worked for Barnabas, we'll do the same thing. He did it. Barnabas gave a property, and he's highly regarded. We're going to turn around and do the same thing. And if you read the passage, God had to deal with them very severely because they were totally faking it. And I, I, I say this because it is so key as a condition of revival that we are real with one another, that we are authentic, that we are transparent. Um, you know, there's, we don't have to kid anybody. We just have to be real before God. We're not perfect people, but let us be well-aimed people, Okay. Let us be aimed well. Let us be aimed at Jesus, walking with him. Not perfect people, because we all sin and fall short. But if our aim is right, if our heart is directed towards Jesus, the resurrected one, that is a real kingdom community right there. And the early church was discovering this really quick. Because when Ananias and Sapphira faked it, and God says, yeah, I can't really be having that in my family, and, and he, and he kind of disclosed it, everyone's like, whoa, this is serious business right here. Got everyone's attention. That's what it means that the believers were highly regarded. God added to their number, and yet no one dared join them. In other words, anybody with the wrong motive or intent, mm -mm -mm. there was going to be no fakers. So the, the third point this morning for revival, the third point, this is how we step into revival. As we become a genuine, authentic, and transparent community. As we become a genuine, authentic, and transparent community. Again, not a perfect people. None of us are perfect. But the reality is, can we be real with each other? Can we go before God with real things? See, in this time, uh, the Pharisees think they have it all together, act like nothing's wrong, and they're just critiquing everyone, and they're blasting the apostles. They're, they're blasting everybody. The apostles are real. Jesus was walking around with real people with stinky, dirty feet through real towns, real streets, and the Pharisees, all they could do is critique them. Well, look what they're doing over there. They're eating with those people. How and it was this cynicism, this critical thing. And Jesus is like, you know, you guys look so good on the outside, but on the inside, you guys are a wreck. Who are you kidding? That's fake. That's totally fake. And Jesus was not fake. He was so real, so genuine and authentic and I believe a condition for revival that we see here is the church was genuine, authentic, and transparent in their community. And I believe we have to be too, to be real with each other, to pray for each other, to share our needs with one another, and start living as a community like a real family. That was a condition for revival. Well, as this goes on, and I'm going to move quickly in this portion, but um, although um, some highly regarded uh, the church, there were others being discriminating against the believers, and that was the religious leaders. And so it moves on in verse 17, and it says, Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles. They put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple course, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. You might want to underline that in your Bible. Tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, and as they had been told, and began to teach the people. I don't know if you've noticed this theme in the Bible, but if you ever get arrested for your faith, you don't have to worry about it. Have you noticed God's really good at these breakouts? There's a whole bunch of them going on, like a lot of them. You do not have to worry about getting locked up for your faith, okay? Likely, God is going to bust you out at some point in the night. Just sing praises to him in the middle of the night and, and watch what happens. 
Um, but anyway, the angel says to them, on God's behalf, tell the people the full message of this new life. Uh, one translation says, keep on telling the people the whole message about this life they can have. It says a full message and it's new life. And I say full message and new life because I want you to consider this morning, if someone asked you to go out into the street or somewhere and tell somebody the full message of this new life, what would you share? If you want to partake in revival that's breaking out like in Scripture, it says, tell them the full message of this new life. What would you say? How would you describe the full message of this new life? Because some people look at the gospel as saying, well, if you don't turn, you're going to die in hell. Yeah, is that, that's all you got? That's the full message of the new life? I didn't hear any new life in that, by the way. What's the full message of this new life? They're getting in on it. It's contagious. It's blowing up. Jesus is contagious. This whole city is changing. He's like, go out and tell them the full message of this, of this new life. And I would encourage you as a take-home today to really pray about, God, what is this full message of the new life? What, what would I say? How would I even describe that? Because that will show you how much of God's kingdom you actually have seen and, and, and what part you can share. We can only take people as far as we are. And, and when I read scripture, I'm looking at people getting in on the kingdom of God in these multiple dimensions of ways. It's a full gospel and it's absolutely beautiful. It's life-changing. And he's telling them, get out and share this. So he's out there sharing this. And it says in verse 21, that when the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, look, the men that were put in jail are in standing in the temple courts teaching the people. And at that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and have determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. You know, there's this theme going on about, shh, be quiet, shh, be quiet. And we see it manifest right here in this passage. I don't know if you know, but just this week, we had a situation that came to national news on the topic of, shh, be quiet, don't use the name of Jesus. There is a small city outside of Rochester, New York, and uh, they opened up their, their, their little city meeting with prayer, and that's been happening for 200 years all over this country, towns, counties, governments, federal, opening with a prayer, nothing uncommon about that. But the big issue is they were praying in Jesus' name, and there were some people saying, no, I'm not going to tolerate that, I don't want to hear Jesus' name, stop doing it, and I'm going to sue. So they sued. They sued this local government entity to stop. So it went all the way to the California Supreme Court. And just this week, on a 5-4 to four margin, it would have been a 9-0 to o margin years ago. On a 5-4 to four margin, the topic went before the Supreme Court. Can you pray in the name of Jesus or can people tell you to stop doing it before a civic government 
meeting of this kind. And the Supreme Court ruled, yes, you can. You can pray in the name of Jesus. It's historical. It's part of who we are. And it doesn't intimidate or, or exclude people to, to do part of this. And the fact they said it's not the government's job to censor censor the prayer and what kind of prayer goes on in these meetings. Every town organization is entitled to do what they want to do. And if you want to pray in Jesus' name, you go ahead and keep doing it. Hallelujah for that. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Can we give him a hand? That's, that's big. You know? You know, we think we live with persecution. There is a tide in media going against the name of Jesus, but the reality is that is very cool. Um, and you wonder why we still have God's blessing and protection on this comp- uh, country. And I think it's things like that that keep God's grace and favor going. Um, but all this to say is Peter, on the other hand, did not meet the same kind of... He was before his own Supreme Court, so to speak, the religious ones. And they said, be quiet. So Peter gets up in verse 29, and I'm just going to summarize this. And he says, uh, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than man. In other words, we cannot help but speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. There's not going to be, you can't keep us down. You can't keep us quiet because God is alive. He sh- we know he's alive. He's alive in us. We've not only seen him with our eyes, he's alive in us. He's changed us. You can't tell us to be quiet about that. We're never going to be quiet about that. And they said, look, we've warned you, and now we're not going to warn you again. So the passage goes on, and it says, I just want to summarize in verse 38. They realize, look, we're going to have to take these guys. We're going to have to beat them. We're going to flog them. And we're going to make sure they don't ever speak in Jesus' name again. And in verse 38, one of the wisest of all was a teacher, highly respected one, by the name of Gamaliel. And I believe his words are prophetic. I believe the Spirit of God was moving in his life. And we don't know his end result. We don't know some of the details. But we do know in this time that there was religious leaders very against the name of Jesus. But we also know there was guys like Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night, was one of these guys too. And he believed Jesus. He was like, Jesus, you're, you're the real thing, aren't you? You're the Messiah, aren't you? What do I got to do? And there's other ones, Joseph of Arimathea, where Jesus' body was put in his own personal tomb, sacrificial giving with his own tomb. Joseph. These guys were these religious leaders. They're starting to go, Jesus is the one. Well, all of a sudden in this passage, in this passage right here, they come before the leader, Gamaliel, with great wisdom, and even prophetically. And, he, and, he, and they ask him, hey, look, these guys are doing what we don't want them to do. We want them to be silenced, and we're going to threaten them. We're going to do these things. And this is, this is what he says. He's like, not so quick, guys, to the religious leaders. Not so quick. See, Gamaliel sees some evidence of God's hand in their life, and he's not quick to accuse anything. He sees the Spirit of God moving in some way, even though this is not the way he thought the Messiah was going to come or the kingdom of God was going to come. Admittedly, he's seeing God do some stuff that he has to take a step back and say, be careful, religious leaders, before you go further and do something foolish. He says this, he says, leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men you will only find yourselves fighting against God. That was beautifully stated and absolutely prophetic, and it is true even today. It's, in fact, a condition of all revival. If you're a note-taker, this is our final point, uh, maybe as the worship team comes up. The final point on revival, stepping into revival, is that if our purpose and activity is from God, then no one can stop us. 
Nothing can stop us. If our purpose and activity is from God, if what we aim to do is legitimately from God, our purpose and our activity, nothing can stop us. If God is for you, who can be against you? I mean, this is the the text. Gamaliel said that prophetically. If God is for you, who can be against you? And so the question is in revival, will we partner with God for his activity and purpose? Because if we will, this is where revival comes in. If we won't, I can't say that God's going to get behind everything we do and just, you know, give us favor and everything. But if our purpose and our activity are of God, there is no stopping it. Gamaliel was wise to say that. Now, turns around that the religious leaders heard him say that but didn't listen to his advice. They turn around and flog them anyway. They, they whip them and beat them anyway. And when the apostles got out, they were so glad that they even got to suffer for the name of Jesus. We hard to understand this, but they were glad they got to suffer for the name of Jesus. And revival is spreading. They're even bolder and they're proclaiming even more. God is pouring out his power. As God's people are getting closer to him, God's getting closer to them. And there's this beautiful thing of heaven invading earth going on in the passage. And all revivals have these themes of us drawing near to God, God drawing near to us, For us, as we walk around the town and the city, casting a shadow and some saying, I don't know about you, but I want to cast the presence of God. God, can I cast your presence today? If I'm going to cast something, I don't want to cast my own attitude or my own thing or my own stuff. I want to cast the presence of God. God, can you fill me with your spirit so that the love of Jesus in my life would have an overflow effect to those around? If that's your prayer, God will say, yes, I'd be happy to do that with you. Um, And if our purpose and activities from God There is no stopping us. These are all key components of stepping into revival that we don't only see in Acts, but we've seen through the revivals throughout history. These same themes apply. So I want to just close in prayer. I want to ask God to seal some things in our heart, but specifically that we might be a revival people, that we personally might step into revival in some new and exciting ways. Um, There's one thing going through life in your own strength, and there's another thing going through life in the strength of the living God. And... uh, I want to encourage you, if our purpose and activity is from God, nothing will stop us. No one will stop us. Mighty God, we love you and we thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of it. God, I just pray that we would be a revival people. I pray, God, that we would draw near to you and you would draw near to us. I pray that we would step into revival in these ways, God. I pray, Lord God, that as we go to places in the workplace, everywhere we go, we're going to cast some sort of... uh, they would say energy in the world or they would say vibe, but the reality is we want to have the presence of God be the evident thing in our life. We want people to say there's something about the love of Jesus in your life. There's something going on. Don't know what category to put it in, but I think it's God. And we'd say, yeah, it's, it's God. It's not us. It's not us. But, but God is doing something and he wants to do it in the lives of so many. And Lord, you told them to go share the full message of this new life, the full message. And I just pray we would be people that would start coming to terms with what the full message is of this new life. And I just pray you would fill us with your spirit like you fill them, that our, our, our faith would get even more contagious, that in a society that would say, keep down and be quiet, we'd say, no, we can't help but talk about what we've seen and what we heard, because you are so good. Lord, I just pray for this revelation in our life, God. I just pray that you take us to a new level. We cry out, God, for revelation, not only in our lives personally, but in this family of believers right here, and God, in this city. We pray that the city of angels would be a city of revival, Lord, just as angels were sent to proclaim. I pray there would be more proclamation coming out of this city, God, than than anything else in the history of the city, that 
that the name of Jesus, Lord, going public for you would be pleased. And, and putting you first, we would realize truly that you supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory. That if we give you our worries, you will exchange them for your peace. That if we put you first, we don't have to worry about anything because all these things will be added to us, you said. God, you're in control. And I just pray we, we learn, God, as a people, how to partner with you truly in this life, in this almost this dance, Lord, of life that we have uh, a season, temporary assignment on life. To, 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 we can dance with you all the way till the end, God. Or we can look at you from a distance or talk to you from a distance or ignore you. But I think you want us to draw closer to you, God. And just like in a dance where there's continuity, I believe your spirit wants to show us Take a step this way, take a step that way. And when you do, we do that, God, there's gonna be, you're going to give life through us to others around us. And it won't be us, it'll be you. Just like the early church, we'll say, don't look, we'll say, don't look at us. <laughs> this isn't us. This is God doing things through his people. Let me tell you the full message of this new life. We love you, God. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.